happened December 20th, 1943. An American pilot, Charles Brown, was flying his first combat mission in World War II, and he was flying a B-17 bomber. Now, he had been involved in some, some, uh, some maneuvers, and some German fighters had badly damaged it. In fact, um, this, the tail gunner was dead, half the, crew was half the crew was injured, the plane was barely holding together, much of the metal had been blown away, it was almost out of fuel, and it was limping back, uh, back to base. As they were making their way back to base, a German fighter jet swooped in behind them. The American uh, pilots, they saw this German uh, fighter jet get behind them, and they knew that they were goners. They were just waiting for the guns to start blazing, but it never happened. Uh, they, they waited and waited and waited, and as, as this pilot was behind the, the bomber, he looked in and he waited to be shot at, but it didn't happen. He saw that the tail gunner was dead. He flew up beside the plane and saw that uh, much of the crew were, were huddled around those who were injured. They were, they were trying to help them out. And as he flew along, he realized that this, this plane, if he shot it down, it would be murder. And this man, this, this German pilot, had one time stayed to be a priest. And he had originally flown out for revenge. His brother had been killed in the war, and he was, he was going to get these Americans. But as he saw this, this crippled plane flying through the sky, he realized he couldn't do it. And this German soldier, whose mission was once a mission of death, changed his mission to be a mission of life. He flew up to the wing, uh, beside the wing of the, of, the, of the bomber. He nodded to the pilot and then started flying in formation so that uh, the anti-aircraft anti guns on the ground wouldn't shoot him. He assisted this plane. He flew in formation with him all the way over the North Sea. He saluted the pilot and then returned to Nazi Germany. Many years later, it was, it was in the 80s or 90s, I, my, my memory uh, fails me there, but many years later, these, these sworn enemies ended up meeting. American Charles Brown and German Franz Stigler met. Through the course of time, both they and their families became friends. The two former pilots, uh, they would go on fishing trips together. They would fly to one another's homes. Um, the CNN article that I read about this said that, in fact, they would... Uh, they would talk to each other on the phone about once a week. In fact, it, the, the bond was so strong that Stigler, the German, gave the American a book as a gift. And in that book, he had, he had written a, a few words, and he ended it by calling himself Brown's brother. And we sometimes come across stories like that, and they make us pause. What is it that can make these two sworn enemies that are out to kill each other, not only not kill each other, but also to become friends? to show compassion on one another. And that love and compassion, uh, it, it, it kind of gets our attention, but we know that not every story ends that way because not everybody acts the way that they should. And that, that's the case with our, our prophet today. We're going to be in the book of Jonah, so if you have your Bible, open to Jonah chapter 1. And if you're like me, you can't remember the, the short prophets. You can't remember uh, their, the order they go in very good. You might need to look into the table of contents. But we'll be in Jonah chapter 1. And we're going to pick up in verse 1. Now, when you hear Jonah, what do you, what do you naturally think of? The, the whale, the big fish. And maybe you think of VeggieTales because they, did, they recently did a, a story about Jonah. And we automatically think of Jonah and the big fish, and that is a major incident in his life, but it's not the focus of the book. We learn a lot about Jonah in this account, but he's not the focus of the book. In fact, the focus of the book is what God's like. 
It's not what Jonah's like. And that's really the focus of our text. As we, as we read Jonah chapter 1, I want you to get a glimpse of the pursuing God. Our pursuing God. Now, God pursued Jonah, and thankfully he pursues us, because really, it's pointless to run from God. Have you ever tried it? It doesn't work very good. He, he's everywhere. It, you can't run from God. And, and it, is, it is much better to just be obedient when he calls the first time. And when we do that, it will keep us from missing out on his power and from his activity in our lives. So look if you would at Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa from the ship that was going, uh, found a ship that, which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned with us, so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn who, on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So, so they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not. For the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now the first thing that I want you to see in this truth is that we need to listen for God to send us. We need to listen for God to send us. You might remember back in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, it says that in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And, and it goes on to talk about this vision that Isaiah had of the Lord, how the train of, of his robe filled the temple and, and the seraphim threw, uh, flew around and sang holy, holy, holy and, and all those things. And in that, in that incident, uh, the Lord says, who should, I, who should we send? Who should go for us? And remember Isaiah's response? He said, here am I, send me. Now Jonah, when the Lord uh, spoke to him, what was his response? It was not, here am I, send me. It's, it's, here am I, I'm getting out of here. Now we don't know a lot about Jonah. Uh, basically all that we know is found in the book of Jonah. He's mentioned one other time in the Old Testament. We know that he, reigned, or that he, uh, that he served during the time of King uh, Jeroboam II. This is about 50 years before Assyria exiled Israel. And that's what we looked at last week. So this is kind of taking a step back a little bit. And, and he, he appears from, 
from this text and from the other verse that we have in the Old Testament about him, he appears to have been a very uh, a patriotic uh, prophet. In fact, uh, some scholars think that may have been the thing that distinguished his ministry. He was extremely patriotic. Now, what we do know about him is that he got a call from God. If you look at verse 1, and verses 1 and 2, God calls Jonah. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because Jonah's a prophet. And he was called to go to Nineveh. Now, that's where the problem is because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. If you look on, uh, if you look on the back of your... Uh, on the back of your bulletin, you'll see there's a little map there. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Now, he was called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a chief city, later became the capital city of Assyria. Now, Assyria, we know later exiled um, Israel, but Assyria was very, very brutal. In fact, their own records record some of the things they did in war. Like one, one thing that uh, one of the leaders did was he skinned people alive, hung their skins on the city wall, would impale them while they're still alive on a spike and just let them hang there until they died. Other times, in, in some of their wars, they would take the women after they defeated a place, they take the women and, and the young people, cut their heads off and, and put them in, in columns or, or towers or, or like a, a mound outside the city gate. So everybody that went by would have to look at that and remember, oh, the Assyrians did that to us. I mean, they were terrible people. They were very brutal. And many of his countrymen had experienced their brutality. So, I mean, if, if you put yourself in the place of Jonah, let's say that somebody comes in, they start, you know, they have the sign say, don't mess with Texas. Let's say somebody does mess with Texas. We say, that's America. You don't mess with us. That's, that's what Jonah would have been feeling. You don't mess with my people. And so God called him to go to people that have brutalized some Israelites. And so he went the opposite direction than what God told him. Now, if you look at that, um, if you look at that map that's on the back of your bulletin, You'll notice that, uh, if I remember right, letter A is where he started out in Gath, Hefer. It, it's, and he goes down to Joppa, which is a Phoenician city. But God told him to go to Nineveh. That's to the east. I think that's point B on your, on your map. He's supposed to go to Nineveh. Nineveh, Nineveh is in uh, modern-day Iraq on the Tigris River, about 500, 550 miles from where he was. God said go east. He says, I'm going to go to Tarshish, which if you'll notice on your map is way out through the Mediterranean Sea, somewhere over in Spain, they think. So he's going like 2,000 or 2,500 miles to the west. God says go 500 miles to the east. He goes 2,000 miles to the west. Other people think that Tarshish, because of some gra grammatical things in, in uh, the Hebrew, it wasn't an actual city. It just spoke of the open sea. So God says go inland. He says, I'm going to go out to the sea. I'm going to try to get away from God. Now, why did he do that? Well, obviously, there was, there was some hatred there. He didn't, he didn't want to have anything to do with these Assyrians. There possibly racism. He may have thought they were unsavable. He may have thought, you know what? These people have done these terrible things. They're beyond God's forgiveness. Um, obviously, there was rebellion and disobedience in his heart. God said, go east. He went west. And ultimately, he does tell us, Jonah tells us with his own mouth in chapter 4, verse 2, why he fled. And the reason is because he was scared. Not scared of going to the city and preaching. He was scared that he would go and preach and they would repent. Isn't that a weird thing? This prophet of God was scared that these people that God called him to, to, to preach to would repent. He says in, in chapter 4, he says, I know that you're loving, you're gracious, you don't want to bring calamity on people, and that's why I fled from your presence. I wanted to delay things. He, he, he was not like the German pilot. 
He didn't have that compassion. He didn't have that love. He just had hate. So he said, I'm going to run from God, which doesn't make any sense because there's no place that we can go to get away from Him. Now, what does this tell us about God? Well, it tells us about God's worldwide love and grace. See, God doesn't just love white Baptists. God doesn't just love Missourians. He doesn't just love, and this is, get this, He doesn't even just love America. We say, God bless America. God loves America. He does love Americans. But you know what? He loves Mexicans, North Koreans, Iraqis. He loves everybody. God has a worldwide love. He doesn't just love people like us. And we need to listen for God. You know what? And nobody's unsavable. Just like these Assyrians weren't beyond God's grace, there's nothing you can do to out His grace. Same thing with us. We, we, can, we sometimes see people at work and we think, Oh, that person will never get saved. That person will never come to the Lord. I mean, just listen to the way they talk. Just, just, just hear the things that they say and see the things they do. They can never get saved. But that's not the case. Nobody is unsavable. And we need to listen for God to call us and send us because His desire is for everybody to hear. Jesus said in the Great Commission, He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And so we don't get to decide like Jonah did. We don't get to decide who gets to hear about God's grace. When God calls us to, to, to talk to that friend, to talk to that, to, to talk to that loved one, to talk to that relative, we don't get to say, you know what, God? I know this is what you want me to do, but I'm going to choose otherwise. That's not a legitimate choice. Does anybody know who Penn and Teller is? Penn and Teller, the, the magicians. You know, there's, there's uh, uh, the one guy, Teller, who never talks, and there's Penn, the great big guy. Well, Penn is an atheist, very foul mouth. But he posted a, a video one time, a few years ago. And in that video, even though he's an atheist, he said he had no respect for people who didn't proselytize, who didn't evangelize, who didn't try to get people to convert to Christianity. And here's why. He said if... If you really believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that without the Lord you're going to go to hell, how much do you have to hate that person to not tell them? If you really believe that, he said, then you have to tell. Otherwise, you hate that person. That's the gist of what he said. And I look at Jonah and I say, you know, that's kind of what Jonah was doing. He wasn't telling them because he hated them. And then I think about our lives and say, what, what do our lives show about our love for people? So Jonah missed the boat, so to speak, when it came to understanding God's love. He didn't want the Ninevites to know of God's forgiveness, but forgiveness is what he needed himself because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. So we have this, this scene where God's calling him. The next scene that we have is him on the boat. And the next thing I want you to see is that we need to repent if that is our storm's purpose. Repent if that's your storm's purpose. Now, we all have storms in life. What is a storm? A storm is those things that, that rock the boat. It's those things that, that disturb us, that, 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 that upset us. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe there's a death in the family. Maybe it's just, it, it, well, you know, you've been in storms. Now, everybody has storms, whether you're saved, whether you're lost, whether you follow Christ, whether you don't. Everybody has a storm. You remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, the wise man is that person who hears my words and then doesn't. He's like the man who builds his house on the rock, and the foolish man is the one who hears my words but doesn't do them. And He talks about the, the, the storms coming, the, the rains come down, the floods come up, and the storm beats on the house. Now, there are all kinds of storms in life. Sometimes they're, they're to get us to repent. 
what does it mean to repent? To repent means to have a, a change of heart. You change directions. It means that you do an about face. And that's what this storm was meant to do for Jonah because what, what direction did God tell him to go? He said, go east. And Jonah went west. And God needed him to go east. So he sent a storm to get him to turn directions. Sometimes God will send a storm in our life to test our faith. You remember in the New Testament, uh, Jesus has some incidents in a boat with his disciples, and there's a storm going on, and, and he's asleep. And, and they're like, Jesus, wake up, we're about to die. And, and he says, uh, and he, he wakes up and he, he, he calms the storm. And you remember what he says? He says, ye of little faith. Sometimes those storms test us. How much do we believe God? How much are we going to believe His Word? And sometimes they come just because we live in a fallen world. I mean, bad stuff happens because there are bad people in the world. But God is sovereign, and He will send us the right storm. You start going away from God, and He will doggedly pursue you, and He'll send that storm that will get your attention. Now, Jonah was unconcerned about his situation. If you'll, if you'll notice in the text, it says that this, this huge storm was coming up. These experienced sailors were afraid they were going to die. And what was Jonah doing? What's he doing? Not a rhetorical question. He's sleeping. Yes. So here's Jonah sleeping. You say, well, maybe that's just faith in God. No, he's run from God. His conscience didn't bother him. Sometimes we, we get to run from God and we think, well, God must not be too concerned about it because my conscience didn't bother me. I'm sleeping all right at night. But he was sleeping when he should have been praying. It reminds me of the the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, they, they were sleeping when they should have been, should have been praying. And, and maybe that describes some of us. I mean, we've we got these storms going on in our lives, but instead of trying to figure out what the cause is, why has why God sent this storm? Sometimes we just kind of just sleep right through it. Maybe you need to wake up and figure that out. Now, they cast lots to figure out what's going on. And, and we're not too familiar with that. It's kind of like drawing straws. And that's what the ancients did to figure out God's will. And in Proverbs 16.33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And that's how the, the disciples chose Matthias to take Judas' place. Uh, we, we see it many times in Scripture. So they figure out Jonah is to blame. And what is his solution? He says, Throw me overboard. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, You know what? I'm to blame. Let's go back to shore. It, you'll notice that it says that the, the, the sailors... Um, oh, where's that out? Yeah, verse 13. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but could not. That wasn't his idea. That was their idea. He didn't say, it's my fault. Take me back to land so I can get this fixed. He said, throw me into the sea. We don't know why. Again, maybe he was suicidal. That would fit with some of the other stuff that he says later on in the book. He says, my life's not worth living. Just take my life, Lord. Maybe he was suicidal. Maybe he really thought it would stop the storm. Either way, at the very least, it seems he was more willing to die than to tell the Ninevites about God's love. Isn't that sad? He was more willing to die than to tell the Ninevites about God's love. And it's, it's even worse that these, these unbelieving sailors, they were Phoenicians, they were pagans, they had more compassion than Jonah did. And it is an embarrassment when unbelievers show more compassion than followers of Christ. So what's, what's the reason for our storms? Are you going through a storm? 
Probably either you're getting ready to go in one, you're in one, or you just came out of one. If you're in one, you need to figure out why. Examine your heart and then repent if that's why you're in that storm. The last truth I see in this text about our pursuing God is that we need to realize people are watching us. People are watching us. Now God brought good out of Jonah's disobedience. It wasn't because of his disobedience. It was in spite of his disobedience. Romans 8.28 says, For all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. We like that verse, don't we? But, but God, is, God was in the midst of this stuff. And we need to realize that our life is an example. Whether it's a good one or a bad one is up to how we live. It depends on how we live. And we have a responsibility to live right. Now somebody would say, Oh, Pastor, I like this example of Jonah. Because here's what I'm going to do. God not only gets glory because they, they came to Him, they get He gets glory because they came to Him in spite of Jonah's sin. I think I'll take that example. I'll live however I want so God can get all the more glory. Now Paul talked about in the book talked about that in the book of Romans. He said, should we sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You need to live in such a way that, that people will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now the good that came about, obviously, was these sailors came to faith in the Lord. And I want you to notice the progression. Look at verse 14. He had said, throw me overboard. They said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not, we know what's going to happen if we throw you into this raging storm. You're going to die. We're going to row back to land. The Lord works against them. Verse 14. Then they called to the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done just as you please. Now that's significant because remember, these are pagans. They have their own gods. But if you'll look at verse 14, what is? look at the way the word Lord is in your Bible. Most likely, it's in all caps. That's because it translates the proper name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. So they went from calling on their, 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 their gods, their false gods, to calling only on Jehovah or Yahweh. And they, they beg Him for mercy. They say, you know what? Don't let us die because this man's disobedient. Don't hold us accountable because we're throwing Him overboard. You're the ones working against us. Show us mercy. And then at the end, in verse 16, it says, They feared the Lord greatly. They offered sacrifice and they made vows. Probably they vowed to worship God alone. The application is we need to realize that people are watching the way that we live. You go to work, your kids at home, they're paying attention to the things that you do and the things that you say. They, your kids see you come to church and act a certain way, but then walk out the door and act a certain way that's different. Your kids realize that. Those people at work that look at you and they hear the things that you say that if you were here at church you wouldn't be saying, those people pay attention to that. You say, I'm a Christian, and then you talk and, and act all kinds of ways that's not consistent. People pay attention to that. People are watching you and they're watching me. So here's the application I draw from it. If you're a believer that's run from God, don't make a fuss about being a believer. Kind of keep that under wraps. One of the things that kills me is, is that it says that, um, well, verse, verse 10, the men became extremely frightened, and they said, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Why? 
because he had told them. Can you imagine saying, hey guys, can I get on your boat? Oh, I, I don't know. Where, where are you going? Anywhere but here. Why? Because God wants me to go talk to those Ninevites. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're no good. Yeah, I don't want them to go do it. Uh, can, I, can I go with you guys? Yeah, come on. And then in the process, you tell them how you're fleeing from God, how you're a prophet of God, but you're being disobedient. Can you imagine? And yet sometimes we as Christians say, yeah, I know the Lord wants me to do this, but whatever. I'm a Christian, and I know I shouldn't do this, but if our walk does not match our talk, our talk's going to fall on deaf ears. Our job is to bring people to the Lord, not drive them away, and not be run away ourselves. And you say, well, Pastor, I'm doing good because there's no way I'm going to Spain to get away from God. You know what? You can stay right here in New Hope Baptist Church. You could be here today and be rebellious against the Lord. How can you do that? Well, you can be in the far country in your heart. You can have indifference in your heart. You can be seeped in legalism, hypocrisy, acting like you're one thing, but you're really something else. And, and people recognize when our lives don't match our profession. And if any of those things describe us, we need to repent. We need to repent. Turn around. That may be why God's allowing a storm in your life. I'm not saying it is for sure, but the chastisement is one reason that God sends them. Don't run from Him because it's pointless to do it. When He calls, be obedient. Say, well, I'll be obedient so long as I'm comfortable. That's not obedience. Partial obedience is total disobedience. Don't say, well, I'll do it so long as it's comfortable. I'll do it so long as I'm talking to people that look like me talk the same language as me, have the same skin color as me, have the same beliefs as me, I'll talk to him then. No, don't restrict who hears about the Lord. So, you know, sometimes we say, well, I just want to know what God's will is. If you do what He says, you'll always be in the middle of His will. You know what? If you're obedient to what He says, you'll always be in the middle of His will. And sometimes God's not telling us, you know, what to do over here because we've not done what He told us to do over here. And he's still waiting for us to do this thing before he tells us about this thing. So what is God's will for your life? Well, the, Jesus said, and, and I'm just summing up what he said, he said the will of the Father is to, to believe on the Son. And if you've never done that, God's calling you to salvation today. The, the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And if you've never done that, you need to do it today. If you're a Christian running from God, you need to come back to him. Now I want to give you a chance to respond to that. I want you to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. Now with nobody looking around, I just want you to, to look at your life. Not from your perspective, not comparing yourselves to somebody else, but compare yourself to God and His standards. None of us measure up. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying see if you're perfect, because I can tell you that you're not. I'm not either. But I mean, look at your life. And say, am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I being obedient to Him, or am I running from Him?
Is there somebody in your life that you won't tell about Jesus because you think they're too bad, they're unsavable? They've done too much bad stuff. They've never listened to you. They've done you wrong, and so you can't stand to even look at them. And you hate them too much to tell them about Jesus. Maybe you're here and you need to repent. You've wandered into the far country. You're a hypocrite. You never come to the Lord in faith. Today's the day to fix that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful for Jonah's example to us. That even though he ran from you, he had hatred in his heart, he didn't want to see people come to know you. He was disobedient. And all these things going against him. Thank you that you pursued him. Thank you that you pursue us when... We're out in the far country. We've turned and gone from home, thinking that someplace without all these restrictions would be better. Someplace without without you looking over our shoulder, that would just be the best we think. Thank you that it's not that you don't let us stay there. You help us come to our senses. Lord, for that person maybe who's here that has that person in their life, that they just, that just seems like they're beyond your grace. Help them to have the courage to share. Help us all to live lives that are consistent with our words. And help us to not run from you.